Hello, this is Christian Brothers P Podcast, where we discuss black LGBT issues and topics. And today we actually decided to do something very special today. Uh, we wanted to record an actual town hall meeting that was taking place in the Pride Center located in Wilton Manors, Florida. And the title of this particular presentation is called, Is Your Man on the Down Low? Now, this is something that's uh, something new that we wanted to try to kind of see exactly what would be the reception. And when it comes to actual live, in-your-face type of interaction with the audience as well as some of the guests and the people on the panel. So we do have a special presentation we hope you enjoy. Again, this is Christopher Brothers Free Podcast and we are presenting a special town hall meeting that is Is Your Man on the Down Low presented by the Pride Center and Wilton Matters. Thank you and enjoy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. I'm going to get ready to get started. Um, just to make sure, make sure that you are aware, we are going to be on Facebook Live, so it's going to be at, and we're also doing a podcast with Brother Speak. So um, hopefully you guys admire your banner over here. <laughs> um, so we just want to thank everyone for coming out tonight. Um, if you've never been to the Pride Center, we hopefully this won't be your last time coming. How many of you have never been to the Pride Center before? Oh, thank you so much. First time, hopefully you'll come back. We do a lot of great activities here. So there's a lot of uh, meetings, a lot of um, service for the community. So many great things that do happen here at the Pride Center. And we're trying to become more um, diverse in terms of the people that come to the center as well. So this room looks very diverse, more so than some of the other activities we have here. So we're glad that you all have your time out tonight. So that's all staying right. All right, thank you. Um, again, thank you for coming out to the um, our community conversation this evening is is your man on the downloads one of the reasons we want to have this conversation tonight um so if you haven't been to the pride center before um we are we provide a welcoming safe space for people to come here it's an inclusive home um, that celebrates nurtures and empowers the lgbt communities and our neighbors here in south florida so it's open to everyone so it's not specifically for the lgbtq community it's for everyone so we are glad that you're here this evening um, I want to make some introductions on, is, are there any elected officials in the house tonight? Don't all raise your hand at once. <laughs> <laughs> so there are none, that's, that's fine. Um, also, I want to um, introduce our Kiki team. Jakari is a part of the <laughs> And we want to thank, <laughs> and we also want to thank the interns that are working with us, Julia, Kiora, and Sita. So again, thank you for coming out to our, our event tonight. Hopefully you'll get some valuable information. Hopefully you'll be able to share some things that you may have experienced in your lives as well. Um, but one of the things we also want to do is tonight is to really address the high rates of HIV among black heterosexual women, but also look at the high rates of black same gender loving men as well. Those are the areas that we really want to focus on. But we also want to talk about men who are on the download or, you know, because when we say the download, a lot of times it gets a very negative rap, it's a very negative connotation. But when we started looking at if he were a white man on the download, he was, they would basically say that he's, he's bisexual or he's, in the, he's closeted. So it's not the same negative connotation as, as it is when you took a look at black gay men. So um, we're gonna talk about that as well. Um, that's gonna be one of the areas we wanna focus on tonight also. Because when we look at it, um, there was a, an article that was written or a book that was written and one of the things that this guy wrote, his name is Haru Hattu. 
And it's, um, he said that when we talk about men are on the download, it's really a sexist and racist assumption. Um, so if you agree with that, that's kind of how, that's the context in terms of how we want to look at it for this evening. And he also wrote that on the narrative in his book, Conjuring Black Funk, Notes of Culture, Sexuality, and Spirituality. Um, it, when we talk about the download, it disempowers black women sexually, intellectually, and morally, as well as demonizes black men while ignoring the systematic structural forces at work in a racist, sexist, heterosexist, erotophobic and classic, classist society um, that places black women and black men at greater risk for poverty, death, and also other diseases. Those are some of the areas that are impacted by you as a black person sometimes in our community. And it's not necessarily, and it's, sometimes it's systematic in terms of how these things actually happen. It's not just by happenstance that we look at HIV rates among black people, that, it's, or it, that the high rates are among black people. Some of those things are systematically done because Sometimes we don't have access to the same type of health care, don't have access to the same medications. So therefore, those are the things that impact us. And then we start looking at how HIV is very stigmatizing in the black community. We don't talk about it like other races may talk about it. And when we talk about HIV in the community, what's the first thing we say? It's like, oh, they got the ninja, they got these other things. We don't even talk about it from the proper context of what the words are. And then we don't talk about it in our households. So if someone does have HIV, a lot of times we are afraid to share that with even our family members, not even other people, but our family members. So these are some of the things we do want to address tonight in terms of looking at how HIV has impacted our community, especially our black women, our sisters who have supported us, and also our black same gender loving men. We also want to talk about it from the download perspective also um, in terms of looking at that as to not necessarily as a demonizing component, but also just looking at why do these why are these men on the download? Some of it stems from in our community. If you're homophobic, if you're homosexual, that's a stigma right there. So therefore, a lot of people they are afraid. They don't feel comfortable coming out with their sexual orientation because if you come out in some household, you say that you're gay. The first thing that happens, they're going to beat the gay out of you. They're going to pray the gay out of you. They're going to kick you out of the house. All these types of things happen when you bring homosexuality into our household because we don't talk about sex. First of all, we don't talk about heterosexual sex in black communities in many instances. So of course you're not gonna talk about homosexual sex. So those are some of the things we really wanna kind of touch on tonight. Um, we have a great um, panel here, panelists that gonna, um, what they're gonna do, they're gonna introduce themselves. We're not gonna do this long dissertation of introductions of each person. So we're gonna have them introduce themselves. And after each one introduces themselves, we're gonna ask them a question. So if you hear something that's kind of um, piques your interest, please you know, sh you know, ask questions. So we're gonna um, open it up. After we have all the panelists have opportunities to speak, then we're gonna open up to the community and ask questions as well. Um, so we're gonna start on the end with um, Melvin. I think there's a microphone there. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Can everybody Let's press the little button. I think I'm on now. Yeah. yeah. Good evening, everyone. My name is Melvin Ford, and um, for the past 10 years, I worked at Empower You Community Health Center, which is located in Miami. Uh, at the center, I wore uh, a number of different hats. Uh, I oversaw and implemented the Empowerment Project, which is for same gender loving men uh, between the ages of 18 and 30. Um, I also implemented and I uh, provide counseling couple counseling as well as one-on-one -on -one counseling for the clear intervention. Uh, I've since transitioned uh, my work from Empower You. Uh, right now I'm a community advocate and uh, event planner 
Thank you, Melvin. Um, so you'll be our first person to answer a question tonight. I'm going to ask you the question, um, what do you see as the reason or reasons for high rates of HIV among um, black heterosexual females? I think you, you, you mentioned, uh, you stated before, systematically. Uh, I think that's part of uh, the, the reason. Lack of education, uh, I think, is a great reason as to why uh, rates amongst this target population is, is increasing. Um, culture, environment, uh, stigma is very alive. Uh, for for this target population, so I think that those are uh, contributing factors for. All right, thank you. Rates. Thank you. Um, any other panelists would like to chime in on that particular question? I, I mean, I just also agree. Culture plays a big role. I know I'm Asian American, um, and culturally, like it's a big stigma. Like we just don't talk about it. Um, when I was growing up. Um, and a lot, even till now, I would say that, um, especially for the older, um, for a lot of the Caribbean families, I see that a lot, um, just being close with them, where we don't talk about it, and it wasn't until you got to college, you know, where you're really talking about it, and you're meeting people, and you're having conversations, um, but I know, like, even when it comes to people in your family who may be, um, who may have HIV or AIDS, or or for women, heterosexual women, I just even know what you mentioned earlier, where we knew that that's the reason why they passed away, but it basically they took it to their grave. So, all right, thank you. So now we have you introduce yourself, <laughs> and we'll ask you another question. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Rolanda Jovis, and I am professionally I work as a senior attorney for the Guardian Atlanta program in Miami Dade. Um, so I uh, work with. A lot of different families um, in the dependency system, um, each other's children are abused, abandoned, and neglected, um, as well as I serve as the Young Professional uh, Networks President for the Urban League of Broward County, which we are an auxiliary organization for the Urban League of Broward County, which has been established since 1975, and one of our pillars is the health, um, is the health. Um, and so we do focus on doing a lot of advocacy towards that as well. Thank you. Um, what do you think can be done differently to address the high rates of HIV among black women? Can you speak up? Because the back can't hear you. Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. Um, okay, that question Okay. <laughs> what do you think can be done differently to address the high rates of HIV among black heterosexual women? I think one of the things that Melvin mentioned was education. I think just educating, um, especially within the black community, I think a lot of times we don't talk about sexuality, right? We wait until... Uh, or we pretend like it's not happening, right? And then it's like, oh, hey, I didn't know my daughter was sexually active. I didn't know my son was sexually active. I think just the education, talking at a very young age and not making it seem like, you know, a lot of times what happened is people already, you know, at a young age are already exposed to that. And then, you know, things come up or, you know, STDs and all that come up and then we're trying to solve the problem. So it's too late. Like we need to inform our children at a young age and educate them um, at a young age, what it looks like, what it looks like to protect yourself, what it looks like to be in relationships and things like that. I think that's really important. Oh, thank you, because a lot of times, um, in reference to relationships, a lot of times, some of our children, they don't see healthy relationships. So they see these dysfunctional relationships that their mothers are in, their uncles, aunts, and their family. So they, they don't really know what a good relationship looks like. So they accept a lot of times um, negative behavior in relationships. And that's, what, that's the norm, because that's what they've experienced. I want to chime off of what oh, she was saying. Um, along with that, we also need to get 
with the education is to get the churches more involved with um, educating the community as well. Educating the church and so that the church is able to educate the community also. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the churches are, that's a, a very big one that the churches need to get more involved. There are some churches that are involved, so we don't want to paint a brush that no churches are working in it. There are some that do really good work in terms of opening their doors to do testing and also offering, allowing you to do education with their with their congregation. But of course we need more. More of that needs to be done. So we'll go over here, um, introduce yourself, and then we'll have a question for you. My name is Michelle Stokely. I am an HIV positive female that has lived and worked in the community for over 15 years. I am currently working at Children's Diagnostic and Treatment Center where I work with pregnant women. But I've worked um, with the health department, with um, AIDS Healthcare Foundation, also Broward House. So I'm familiar with the community and worked with um, our community closely. Okay, um, the question for you is, what do you see as a reason or reasons for high rates of HIV among black, same gender loving men? Um, my perception would be that they stay in the same pool. They won't go out and outside of where they are. Um, they stay in their community, so instead of venturing out, it stays right where they are. Um, that's okay. the best I can kind of describe that. Okay, and I do understand it because a lot of times when you look at some black, same, gender loving men, we do tend to stay in the same pool. And since we have a high prevalence of HIV in our community, um, if you're dating in that same pool over and over again, there's a high probability of becoming infected with HIV. Did anyone else on the panel want to chime in on that? Yeah, I did. Um, um, well, first, I don't think we should take it for granted that we're all using um, the term same gender loving men because still um, that's a uh, largely uh, inclusive uh, term. Most people don't realize that there's a sexual spectrum and that also creates stigma, which is why people uh, aren't on um, uh, DL. So I think that once, and also we have to talk about the hyper masculinity of black men. Um, black men don't feel comfortable to express themselves outside of um, a, um, uh, in a relation to like the black patriarchy. And so you still have like a, a legacy of white supremacy in the black community that kind of renders black men docile if we're not um, very um, hyper in our masculinity. And that um, can leak into our sexuality, our gender presentation. So once you have all those forces um, uh, against black masculinity, to to be in, in, in other black men, which is to be queer or whatever, that is, um, it's kind of an existential dilemma. Like, what do I do now? And so then you stay within your own community and you stay among your own people and if um, you have a um, already a high rate of HIV in the community, it just keeps going around. So I think um, what we all touched on is about education. We have to um, educate um, in the black community and especially in the church because black folks are very um, are religious and are, um, highly and are deeply um, indoctrinized by religion. So if it isn't in the church, then we're not gonna um, really um, get that education, so yeah. Okay, thank you. Anyone else want to chime in on that on the panel? <laughs> no? <laughs> All right, so Jonathan, introduce yourself and then we'll ask you a question. Well, that's what I did. But I'm Jonathan. Um, <laughs> I, I work what you do. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, wait, yeah. yeah, so I work um, at the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Um, I'm a grassroots mobilizer, so I do um, a lot of sex talks and I um, promote sexual health. 
and uh, prevention uh, techniques for like, um, you know, not contracting STDs or things like that. Um, I just recently graduated from FAU in the fall with a degree in philosophy, and this is really what I wanted to do, so I'm very, you know, just happy to be um, down here in Mobilizing and in Market Community. Yeah. All right, thank you so much for one participating on our panel tonight. Um, the question for you is, um, what can we do differently to address the high rates of HIV among blacks and gender-loving men? Okay, well, um, I think it's, this is very light, I like, I want heavy, but, <laughs> but um, I think that we first have to start with addressing um, what it means to be a black man, um, not only in America, but what it means to be a black man in the black community. There is still not enough conversation among black men about anything really besides, you know, um, objectifying women in sports, pretty much. So what we have to do, we have to humanize ourselves and realize that we are vulnerable to um, to disease, vulnerable to heartbreak, vulnerable to anything that's human. Black men are still dehumanized and we're um, made to feel as though we have to keep up this very hard exterior in order to be validated. So I think um, the question about HIV among uh, queer or same-gender-loving men that has to start with what it means to be a black man and, and how you can express that in ways that are different than what is typically shown in the news or in the media. Once you do that, the biggest talking about education. How do you educate black men on sexual health? And how do you destigmatize um, um, like condom usage? Just like people are so afraid of, of like using um, condoms because it doesn't feel good or whatever, but we have to start um, uh, saying that there are other condoms that you can use. Like, like the other day when I was talking to you about um, different um, versus the con uh, condoms that are more comfortable or, uh, for, uh, for size or for, or for lubrication or for uh, even material. So it's, it's, it's so much deeper than just the um, HIV AIDS epidemic. We have to start talking about first what it means to be a black man and what it means to have knowledge on um, uh, sexual education. All right, thank you. Um, the question for you is um, what are some entities in the black community that can address and assist with exactly what you're saying in terms of educating our communities? Wait, 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 again. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 repeat the question. Sorry. Repeat the question, I'm sorry. And I'm, with, I'm like a goofball, so you just give me, give me a minute. Okay, um, what are some entities in the black community that can address um, these issues of HIV? I think, uh, I think the church, first and foremost, because I, I grew up in the church, and I want to piggyback off of what um, these guys were saying. Um, I think we have to destigmatize uh, what it means to be a same gender loving man within the church. Uh, I think that uh, uh, until we begin to, to challenge the church to be more inclusive, um, we're not gonna be able to have these open and honest conversations. Um, the other week, um, AHF, not the week, but the other month, AHF collaborated with um, the um, Numa Olive, and there was this um, gentleman named B Slade. He's, um, he's an out um, uh, gay man, and he's also um, a Christian, and he was saying some very like blunt things about gay sex in the church, and I was just like, I was just so happy because you never hear about, first you never hear about straight sex in church, and then you never hear about like um, um, queer sex in church. But if the church has the power to like um, affect um, um, knowledge and the way we shape people, then they should also be held accountable to the way we shape people and the way we um, educate people. You can't push heteronormativity because it's just not practical anymore. Um, my generation is like, you know, very gay. You know, like, it's, it's, you know, it's, there are so many people who just um, are along the spectrum. Like me, myself, I don't only date women. I'm, I just, you know, any given day, you know, I feel, you know, what I feel. And there are a lot of dudes that are like me. So we need education for dudes that are like me who don't have the resource to go to school and get a degree in philosophy. You know, we need um, accessible education. 
and that starts with you know um, childhood in, in the church. Okay. Um, no. Yeah. Why not? Um, I'd like to go back to the previous question okay. that you actually posed. Um, what would we do differently? <laughs> can you guys hear me? No. Oh, yeah. We can't hear. So what can we do differently? A little louder. What can we do differently? Can you hear me now? All right. So what can we do differently? I think that we're doing. Um, we're doing a lot of good things in the community. Um, and I think that if we just continue to do those things, we'll see some result. It's not going to happen, maybe in our lifetime. But I think if we continue to do a revisit, revisiting some of the campaigns that are out there, continue to uh, revisit those messages uh, to make sure that they're relevant and they're current, uh, and then changing the roles. I think that uh, one of the things that I was impacted with working with uh, the young uh, target population of the Empowerment Project, um, it was important for me to move out of the way and allow other people to kind of plant seeds, you know, make sure that their voices are heard um, to kind of continue spearheading, leading, you know, those campaigns and engaging young people. All right, thank you. Um, one of the things that you did mention was in terms of doing something different. Um, when we start doing things differently, especially in our community, we, we tend to get into our patterns in terms of this is what we've done time and time and time and time again. And when we've done it so many times, it gets to a point where it becomes somewhat benign in terms of our community, in terms of actually helping them to grow and move forward. But what can we do beyond the things that we've done in the past in terms of educating with the church, because a lot of churches are involved, not all and not many, but there are some churches. What are some other entities in the black community that need to get involved with HIV that we have, that have not engaged us and engaged this particular topic or subject area? Um, I want to say the schools and not make it so hard for us to be able to get it they're starting to let us come in and educate but it's still hard they're allowing us to now come in and give out condoms and the information but it shouldn't be so hard um it should be the norm that they're educating i remember seeing the videos when i was younger in this school and i mean the information to be given now is life you know it gives life and it should be able to help just as much as the health um, information that they're giving in schools already, we're gonna add to it. Um, and to know that they have to have a waiver or sign something to be educated on HIV with knowing the statistics in our area is, is crazy. So I would say the schools, along with the community organizations that are, that are out here that have been doing this, but also when you were saying, um, how else do we get it? Because we have been doing this for years is to get the younger generation involved um, with the older generation so that they can work together. Because things are new out there. We don't always get a chance to hear. So that's why I do the younger youth groups to hear what's going on. And if you hear the things that they're saying in school, um, uh, the, the new uh, lingo that they're using, uh, lingo that they're using, it's ridiculous. So you'd be like, really? But you need to do that so that you can keep updated on everything that's going on too. I want to also talk about um, of the schools. Um, because everybody, well, not everybody, because there's so much greatness in my generation now, like there are people who um, are like, you know, trans um, uh, focus on to come out like a lot earlier, and we have to um, get education that isn't really um, heterosexual sex um, information. Like um, people, uh, kids are having sex a lot earlier. Um, there's a stat um, that I was um, given that kids are having sex in like fifth grade. Yeah. And um, who knows, you know, what their sexual orientation is at that age and how they're developing. 
So we have to also teach that there are other um, um, ways to have sex um, other than heterosexual sex. So we have to make people feel more um, included. Like, you know, if you're not um, being taught that um, that you know, my sex is valid, then that's what prompts the DL. That's what's first along HIV. We need people to feel um, validated. We don't have to, um, we don't, we should make people feel as though their um, sexual practices are othered or like a marginalized because there are a lot of queer folk, a lot of trans folk, they, they've always been here, they're just more out now. So we have to make them feel more inclusive so that way they don't feel as though they have to be DL and that doesn't you know, keep um, this um, spread going. So it's about having a more um, inclusive educational system. Um, it's not that there is a gay agenda, but we do have to um, um, admit that this is a um, multicultural and multisexual um, um, uh, generation, and we can't just only preach heterosexual um, um, safe sex. We have to um, preach um, safe anal sex, safe oral sex, um, 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 sex with people of um, um, different genders, and that needs to start in elementary um, 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 middle school because that's when they get the information. It's your music, it's on TV, it should be an education system. All right, thank you. In the, the legal system, um, just being around, um, just having sometimes I work with volunteers primarily who go out and, and do home visits and speak to teachers, and a lot of times um, it's it's difficult because you know we're we're sometimes boxed into what even you all saying we're kind of boxed into what we know what we're used to, and so when you're talking to some of the volunteers or the families, you're you're also having to do a lot of education, right? So even if their children are placed. Um, with homosexuals, heterosexual families, you, you have to a lot of time continue to educate them even in the legal field on what it looks like. It may not look like what you're used to, but it's also being understanding and, and, and also teaching your, the children there in the system that it's, you know, if you are, you know, figuring out your sexuality and where you're going, it's okay. Um, so I think that comes with just continuously having, just not only having community conversations, but also mentorships or people that they can connect yes. with um, yes. where it's like okay as I'm going through this or I'm, I'm discovering this I know how it looked like even if because a lot of times what I would say is that because um, I even had to have a, a volunteer and I had to tell her like you know because she had she was very conservative and she was like basically alluding that this wasn't a, a good home and I was like oh <laughs> you know are these are they safe are they the children are they taking care of the children's needs and Things like that, I think that, um, and she was from a different country and very conservative, like I said before, but it's a constant that, um, I think even in the legal system that I see on a day-to-day -day basis. All right, thank you. And I think that's a part of it also that we, if you are a black, same, gender loving man, we need to be mentors. We need to get more involved in other activities. We need to be visible also. So therefore we need to be open about our sexual orientation in the community because if they don't know who these people are, these gay men who are in our community, they're gonna continuously label us in terms of we're pedophiles or all the things that we, we are not. But until you stand up and stand in the light and be visible, we're, they're gonna to continue to have their own stereotypical, stereotypical views of who you are as black, same gender loving men. And I think that's a, the other part of it. We have to start to be open and honest about our sexual orientation in our families, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, and our jobs. Being open and being um, able to walk in the light and being, being um, able to be comfortable in your own skin, alluding to what you're saying. Being comfortable in your own skin, whatever that looks like, whatever, how you try, choose to label it for yourself. Um, also, how do you think we should address or engage these entities in terms of like the NAACP, the Urban Leagues, all these other organizations that are to do work for us as a people? How do we engage them in terms of addressing HIV or homophobia in our community? Anyone can jump in. They're just, um, 
there um at the we want uh, a big organizations to like represent um us but there's still like in the grassroots level because sex is still very taboo i can't expect for a large organization just to talk about it in heterosexual sex is still very taboo so i can't expect for um, homosexual or for trans um, um sex to be like um on the main stage being talked about so i i i would i think because people would say that oh if, if you want to change become a politician it's the people's job you know we have to be the one putting pressures on on our organizations if the naacp isn't representing communities of color then they're not doing their job so we have to be um, putting pressure on these um, major corporations and these major um, community organizers to say this is happening in our community and you can't represent us if you're not representing us. Okay. Anyone else? No? I, I also think that starting at home, I think that's so important. You know, I think that a lot of things that end up happening to you know, a lot of our youth is because they're, they're not being mentored and loved and cared for and just guided from home. So I think that parents need to be better parents. <laughs> You know, um, to really address and be able to direct, you know, you. And I agree with that. I think that um, there was a time in black communities, it was like we always used the, you know, the African proverb: "It takes a village to raise a child." We moved away from that because if you, and sometimes now, if you try to raise someone else's child, or even try to give them some direction, now you have to deal with the mother. So you're not, you're not, you're not even at a point so you can even address the child's concern, issue, the thing that happened with the child because the mother's all in your face like, you don't talk to my children like that. And so that we have to get back to trying to work as a, that we're all brothers and sisters and we're all in this together to try to create a better tomorrow and a ne the next generation. And until we do that, we're gonna continuously have the same type of problem. Like you're saying, it starts at the home, but I have to teach my children to be respectful and mannerable so when they're out in public, no one's gonna have to chastise them. So it's not gonna be an issue with another parent trying to chastise my child because they're hopefully they're being mannerable with the parents and the other people that they're coming in contact with. Um, the next question is, um, how does um, the down low contribute to high rates of HIV among, um, in, the, in our communities, or does it? <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think it, it does. Um, I think, I'm just even thinking about like, uh, there, like when I was in college, there was a lot of, um, you, there was a, I mean, obviously a stigma. Mm -hmm. um, and especially among, I'm in a sorority, and especially among the sorority and fraternity life. Um, and I know I had one of my best friend who um, her ex-boyfriend ended up, uh, he came out later on. Um, but it was a big thing, because it was like, oh, we, we don't really want to talk about it, or oh, you're, you know, like with the name calling, and oh, you're not gonna join the fraternity because you're this or you're that. And so I think a lot of times, um, you know, we have this download or, or guys who are not open about their sexuality who are dating women, you know, and, and because of for whatever reason, um, they, they don't come out or, like I said, in college, I've seen that the, some of them come out, but I know there's some who, you know, they still date women, they marry women, and, and, and you know that they're, they're down from others. Jonathan. <laughs> so this is kind of controversial, but I don't think that, I don't think uh, anyone should, should have to come out. I always um, try to, because um, I also do a lot of Black Lives Matter stuff, so I always look at the context of what it means to be black versus what it means to be white. And so I'm looking at what it means to be straight versus what it means to be queer. Um, when I was exclusively dating women, I didn't have to tell my parents that, oh, I'm exclusively dating women. And so I feel like queer folks should get that same right. If you don't, um, if you don't feel as though you have to sit down and say, Mom, 
now I'm dating men. Like, why do you have to do that? Um, but I think it's because you know we feel like um, uh, like forced to say like to to declare myself rather than being myself. That is not to say that you shouldn't tell your um, you know your girl you know what to do because I mean that's that's just you know courtesy. But to but I don't want people to to, to, to feel as though their sexuality has to be a community phenomenon. That's it, that's not what it, that I feel that that's very objectifying in the same way that my blackness can be objectified. I, I don't think anyone should be reducible to their sexuality or to their um or to their um ethnicity. Also, when, when it comes to um, the um, spread of um um HIV within the um the, the DL community or whatever, um dudes just don't wear condoms. Dudes only wear condoms because they girl make them wear condoms. And so, if you have two men who are like, let's just not wear condoms then they're just not gonna work on them, and that also perpetuates the spread. So I think it's about having a partner who holds you accountable to sexual health. I've been with, um, with, with women who are like, listen, you're just not doing this um, unless you have a condom. But I've been, but some other, some dudes would be like, yo, what's up? I'm like, no, what's, no, you have to um, strap up. So I think it's about having a partner who, because if you're with someone who, who doesn't care about you enough to like work on them to know your sexual health, then you shouldn't be with them in the first place. So you have to start uh, dating and sleeping with people who are just as concerned about your health as they are with theirs. And it doesn't show that, that they're concerned about either one of your health if you're not willing to work on them. I agree with that. I mean, the first thing is like, if I'm protecting myself, then I'm protecting you. So therefore that's become the first part of it. So it's, I look at always about self-preservation. So if I'm protecting me, then that automatically protects the person I'm having sex with as well. So those are the types of things. That's how I kind of look at it in terms of making sure that you're covering yourself and making sure that you're protecting yourself and the person that you're having sex with. I want to think that we do have in our communities a lot of stigma that's around HIV and, and also um, being homosexual or gay in the black community. Those are things that we always have to, it's a part of our community and it's a, the stigma is always there. I want to think that you said, Jonathan, about why did people have to come out. This is just my personal opinion. I think that people need to come out primarily to, because we live in a heteronormative society. So there, everything is like, if you're not dating, if you're dating anyone, your family automatically assumes that you're dating someone of the opposite sex, automatically. So therefore, that's why for me, I think it's very important that we do come out and we de do let people know what our sexual orientation is because therefore, it also demonstrates to the, to the younger generation that you can have life, you can have a apartment, you can have a husband, you can, you can build a life with a person who is of the same sex. And we don't show that and they're never gonna know that and we're gonna continue to have these um, another generation of down low men because a part of it is where that comes from because they feel as though they can't come out so therefore I can't come out I have to do what society says society teaches us that if you're a man you have a wife you marry a wife if you're a female you have what you get a husband so therefore that's what society teaches us until we as people who are saying during the love and we have to demonstrate that no you can have a two a, you have two men in a relationship and you can build a life together or you can be two women, you can build a life together. And those are the things that we need to show the next generation and also show our family that our relationships are respectful and their relationships that are just as important as their relationships. Because a lot of times they don't give us the same respect because we don't respect it. So if you don't respect it, then why should I? So that's just my, my personal opinion about that. I might have another question for the panel. <laughs> And then we're going to start to um, venture out into the audience. Um, um, how and at what age did you learn about sex, sexuality, and safer sexual practices? 
I'm going to say probably 10, 11 in elementary because that's when they started showing the videos and you see the sperm and you know the, the picture of the penis and the fallopian tubes. Um, but to say I probably really understood what it was, probably not until um, later. Mm -hmm. But that's when I started you know, seeing the different videos and the conversation it came about. Um, but to really know, like I guess my own sexual self was probably high school. Um, now understanding what the fallopian tubes and all that really, really was. Um, and what it meant to me as a, a woman. Um, for me, sex, um, uh, I would say early teens. Um, for sexuality, I think late teens to early adulthood, mm -hmm. early 20s. Going to college, I think I really started trying to discover who I was. And, you know, um, safe sex practices, that's an evolving process. I think some of the things that I feel like I engaged in last year, um, I've been educated to know that there are some risks mm -hmm. to those things. So that's an evolving process for me. Um, I would say probably uh, early teens as well. Um, my mother was a young mother, so she kind of talked to us a lot about that, um, you know, at 16. So that was, and it was very different because she's patient, so that was different. Um, but sexuality, I would say also later on, late teens um, as well. Um, so sexual, yeah, safer sex, I would say in between, because she kind of always talked about that. Not that she was saying to you, but she was saying, if you are, you know, you get pregnant early, and she goes through all that whole field, but, um, but I know for the most part, um, yeah, a lot of other things I learned until later on. How, how and at what age did you learn about sex, sexuality, and safer sex practices? Like, I'm like eight or nine, because we have a lot of, I, my elementary school is like pretty uh, practice as far as I should um, Education. Um, I didn't um, learn about uh, sexuality until I was I was so old. Like, well, y'all would think I'm like mad young. To me, I'm old, twenty four. But when I was like, oh, <laughs> so I was twenty um, twenty. Um, I just I love Frank Ocean. But has a new album, by the way. Um, but he wrote this like beautiful letter about his um, uh, sexuality probably in 2012 and I was out of school because I dropped out of school before I went back to school and when I read that it really made me interested in um, sexual um, spectrum which led me to philosophy so I think um, just that like around age 21 I started really to um, dis um, discover um, well to, to discover myself because a lot of folks like I, I know a lot of um, my bi um, counterparts, they just don't feel welcome to out the straight on the gay community. So uh, you kind of have to like, you know, be by yourself and figure things out. So for me, um, it was just like, you know, listening to a bunch of Frank Ocean and like uh, just educate myself in school and having a, a, a good teachers. I was about 20. All right, thank you. But hold on, one second. Um, I wanted to make a very important point that even though we were, I learned about sex in school when I was eight or nine, you have um, kids who are learning about um, um, sex that are not on their phones. We have to talk about how pornography is. I know, like, because my work is very um, um, pornography positive, but I'm not porn positive when it comes to the internet and kids because um, kids are like, 
they they just have like I know I'm young, but kids are just so much more exposed to things that I was not even exposed to ten years ago. So we have to talk. We I would want my kids to be educated about sex before I give them a phone, and then they get exposed to everything. Yeah. So we have to talk about um, um, sexual education in the context of internet generation. True, and I thank you for that. That's very important because um, we don't talk about it sometimes. We talk about sex sometimes, but we don't necessarily talk about it from the perspective of how do we educate our community, how do we educate our children to really have them to understand what sex is really about and to really make them understand that this body, their body is a temple and they should cherish it. And they shouldn't just give it to any and everybody. They should really be selective about the people and persons that they choose to have sex with. But a lot of times our children are not taught that. And sometimes they're not taught that because they observe their parents being not selective about the people that they share their bodies with. So you have to kind of be very, when you're teaching, you have to role model what you're trying to teach your children as well. Yeah. What I'm seeing, um, at least in uh, the three years that I've been at the Garden, Garden at Lydon program, is that you're seeing at a very young age, like you're having three-year-olds, you're having four-year-olds, like because oh they've God. seen their parents um, having sex, or they're seeing pornography, or now you're trying to, you know, you're trying to provide services because now they're in the system, and now that they can't, you know, I have a even uh, one of my cases where this child can't even, he's 10 years old, a black young man that cannot be around any other children, and he's in the foster system mm -hmm. because he, the services that he needs is so intense where he's been, he's sexually acted out on his siblings, his. Um, sisters, his brothers, every younger child, you know, so that's one of the problems that we even have for placing him, because now you have, you have to find a home that's willing to possibly adopt him as the only child. So I think even in the system, you're just seeing it even at a younger age, as you mentioned, um, that it's becoming very problematic, because not just, you're not just dealing with now having to resolve the issues with the family, the, the mother, the father, the boyfriends, now you're having to deal with well, how are we gonna place this child back in a home with other siblings um, or other young kids that they're gonna sexually act out on? Wow, wow, that's um, very interesting. Um, when we start looking at our children, um, you know, and a lot of times in life, especially in the same gender community, a lot of us don't have children, so it's not something that's like at the forefront of our thought processes. But even though it, we don't have children, the children in our communities are still ours, and we still have to be responsible for them as well. Um, the next question I want to go to is, um, what are your thoughts about intimacy between two black, same gender loving men? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I think we need more of this. I think intimacy is something that's been downplayed. Um, prior to, at least for me, uh, prior to penetration sex, I think intimacy was very important. You know, when I was a young kid coming up and we rubbed up against, you know, females, we felt like, you know, it was on and popping. We were really creating some things. And once we started having penetration sex, all of that went out the, out the window, you know, holding hands and, you know, having intimate conversations, really getting to know each other beyond just having sex. So I think that intimacy is so important and it needs to be something that to be visited, need to be, you know, really pushed in relationships. Okay. Anyone else want to chime in on that one? What were you saying? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what was the question? I'm so bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question again? Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts about intimacy between two black syndrome loving men? What regard? Whatever you choose. Oh. Whatever regard you want to respond to it. Oh, it's cool. 
Because when you said that, I immediately thought of representation. Because um, when it's just like when someone talks about what do you think of interracial um, um, uh, um, dating, I would think about what was representation. Um, and with that aspect, it's like it's just such a big other feather room. Because if you see, um, you know, um, a queer folk on on television who would be intimate, it's like okay, there are people, but they're gay people. Right. If you see people like you know. Um, um, on to television and they're having sex and heterosexual like oh they're heterosexuals but she's white he's black so I I I feel like it's because you made a really good point about um, you you want people to feel comfortable about coming out um, because we need to see um, more positive visible roles of a queer folk but for me it's like I'm so afraid of like the heteropatriarchy um, um, objectifying queerness and blackness that for me it's just it's it's such a precious thing because it's like when you do see two men having uh, um, an um, intimate moment you do see two men having an intimate moment it, it's not you see um, um, an intimate moment you just see two men versus when you see uh, a heterosexual couple it's just oh two people just having you know a loving moment so I'm just very um, particular about how we objectify these representations um, if it's if I see um, it done poorly. It's just like, well, we just, you know, it, it should be done. But we, I think we kind of have to normalize um, all types of love and intimacy. And for that to happen, I guess there will be cases where um, folks do feel um, like the object in their room. Like, this is the representation of what it means to be black or what it means to be queer. And that's just, that makes me feel uneasy because I don't like being reducible to a black body or to a straight body or, or, or to a queer body because there's so much more to people than just their sexuality and their race. But to your point, you do need representation. True, thank you for that. But I guess when I look at it, I think that um, it really goes to demonstrate that when we see intimacy between two men, that it should just be normal. And I think that's the whole point because you don't, if you don't continuously see it, you're going to always say it like you were saying, oh, it's two men, they're together. But we want to get to a point where it's just, it's a couple. It doesn't matter what the sexes are. It's just, it's a couple. Oh, they're, they having, they're having a moment. And that's all it is. As opposed to, oh, that's a straight couple. Oh, that's a gay couple. Oh, that's, no, we don't necessarily have to look at that because we have to look at it. Like, like you were saying, we're all people. And it's just a couple that's sharing an intimate moment. Be it two men, two women. Or a man, or an female. That's one more thing. That is the one more thing. I'm sorry, because to your point, there was um, my ex and I we were um, dating it before. He he previously um, was um, dating um, a DL dude, and he was like he just couldn't date more DL dudes because he, he didn't like feeling as though he couldn't hold his partner's hand in public. And so for me, that was my first boyfriend. And like people like normally sing around girls, and I was like, you know, I don't want to be. I can't say it's more Facebook, but I don't want to be on the book, you know, and not you know hold my. <laughs> Nothing, nothing. <laughs> I don't want to be no punk and not hold my lover's hand in public. So I, so I, I think that um, with it, and that's something you know from like on the illness. So I think that you, we, we have to have it takes a lot of courage to be um on queer in public, to be black in public. So I think that we have to um, to, to, to your point, we have to have a, a certain degree of courage to say, yeah, I'm here, and like I'm not gonna not hold my dude's hand because we're in like a straight space, or I'm not gonna not hold my white girl's hand because we're like a in a black space, think about like why is this dude with white girls? So I think we have to, you know, look at love as as what it is. Like a big critic of um, of, I don't know if anyone's seen Get Out, but um, the guy who wrote it, Jordan Peele, he's married to a white girl, and everybody's like, oh, how can you make a movie about white supremacy? Why are you getting a white girl? But it's just like it's love. 
if you love somebody, it shouldn't matter their gender or their race. You just love them. So I think once that gets normalized, then we can uh, we can have proper representation without feeling objectified. Thank you for that. Uh, the next question we're going to do, this is the last one for the panel, and then we're going to open up for questions from the audience. Uh, this was, um, how would you describe the black community's inclusion of black St. Jenna loving men? Or is there, are, or are they included in the black community? Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, you're thinking, okay. So while they're thinking, we can also look at, um, well, you're right that. Oh, you're right okay. So you were asking about the black community, you know. Okay, their inclusion of the um, same gender loving communities. I'm gonna get black men. Yeah, I'm gonna get very, um, kind of like Jesus-y theological and very kind of like philosophical. Most people don't know what it does to the individual psyche to be hearing from like age five and up you're going to hell for liking someone of the same gender. It's existentially traumatizing. You do not have the right or the divine or theological or, 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 or God authority to tell someone where they're gonna go based upon their attraction. But what that does is after that age, you start, you know, there's a, a sort of self-hatred. It's like, I'm not allowed into my own community because of who I sleep with. So we have to start, it, it doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be a conversation of tolerance because I don't want anyone in here seeing moonlight. It's not even about uh, figuring out at this age if you are a queer or not. It's really about you feeling it, like you're accepted into a loving environment. And the black community has not done that. I would never say that in a white space because people would be like, oh, I got you there. But I would say that I can be critical of, of my community and saying that the homophobia is, is just psychologically damaging. And... Um, and that is what leads to the uh, um, phenomenon. Because it's felt like um, you have dudes who, who pick on out queer folk and they're DL. Like that's, that type of masculinity is what leads to rape culture. It's what leads to all sorts of sexual violences. But that stems from the home. And, and the black community is uh, particularly um, needs to be held accountable for that. Because what we do to individuals, we isolate people and we and we turn um, soft and, and, and human boys into hardened criminals because of that type of uh, hyper masculinity, that's on us. So I think that we, um, the, the black community, I, I feel like we have a lot of valid arguments against, against white supremacy, but the ways in which we treat um, 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 boys who, um, who uh, don't identify as straight, that's on us. And we have to um, um, start changing that like right now. Because a lot of like it's it, it does something to you to hear for decade after decade I'm going to hell I'm not valid my love is not valid who I love is not okay it's like it's it, it's so it should be so simple to say to someone that you love that's valid that that counts as something but the stigma you know with being queer in the black community is is internally violent. It's not only that you're getting hate from outside, um, from like the community, but you're getting hate within yourself. You don't like what you look at in the mirror. And that's damaging. So uh, I, I hold the black community particularly responsible for that. Thank you, and I, and I agree with that. But I also hold the black, same gender loving community responsible because if you're not open and showing people who we are, then they're, they don't, they're, they're a stereotype of who we are, all they know. So we have to start to show them other sides of the community. And until we do that, we're going to continuously have families who are going to be very negative to our children, being very negative to their sons who may act a certain way. I mean, the other part of that is when we start to look at at our community, especially black communities, 
Most black boys are even taught at an early age not to show your emotions. So you're taught early on not to show your emotions. You can have a five-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. Both of them fall and skin their knees. Five-year-old girl, she's picked up, she's held, she's nurtured, she's coddled. She said, oh, baby, it's going to be okay. What happens to the little boy? Suck it up. Be a man. Man up. That's what you're being taught at an early age. Not even to show that when you're hurt, to demonstrate and say, I am hurting. So what do you think happens to that same little five-year-old boy who doesn't know how to show his emotions at five when he's 25, when he's 30? The exact same thing, but now he's grown into this hardened person who does not show, know how to show his emotion to his lover, to his, to anyone. So therefore, and, and so we have to start at our home, like you were saying earlier, it's about parenting. We have to start at the home to actually teach our children that if you are hurt, that you can say, mommy, this hurts, instead of telling the little boys to suck it up and be a man, because they're, they're children. And to that point, I'm so sorry, but, um, <laughs> I don't think you really are. <laughs> <laughs> but like, when that does happen, you have America. Because America is still very patriarchal, and also men are in control. So when men aren't being taught how to be emotionally intelligent, you have very extremely um, exclusive and um, um, patriarchal political structures. If we raise our men to be emotionally intelligent and emotionally vulnerable, we'll have a better America. Because men are empowered. Um, the patriarchy is still a thing. Like, from... from um, from, from misogyny to transphobia, all these things stems from the um, patriarchy. So until we start teaching that men should be held accountable for their emotional intelligence, this is gonna keep happening. And you know, America suffers from that. America suffers from that. So yeah, true. All right. Anyone else want to respond to that? If not, I'm gonna go into the audience. <laughs> So does, does anyone have a question, a comment, or anything? Young lady right here, Cassandra? Yes. All right, Cassandra. Okay. Um, while you're all talking, like my theory brain was like itching to talk. But um, so I was thinking, I'm a note taker. <laughs> One of the things that I think that lacks within the black community is really a few things. The acceptance of infidelity for men and the force of, of monogamy for women I think that plays a role in the aspect of the spread of HIV. And then also the lack of talk about sexual assault and how often it happens to both our boys and our girls. When you told me that story about that little boy, instantaneously I could think that that boy doesn't just um, sexually um, act out. He was probably raped or molested. So children that are three and four acting in these kind of mannerisms is not something that they internalize just from like, Porn or watching their parents have sex, other adults or other people have have portrayed those things actions onto them, and then that's something where children are in fifth grade having sex, thus you know creating a culture where um, chlamydia is rampant in middle schools and and um, gonorrhea is rampant in middle schools, but yet we're not talking. But yet we're afraid to talk. So the statistics are there to say there's something not being done, but yet we're not listening to it. No, I want to. Um, I just want to go off what you were saying because a lot of times what we're finding out and when we're doing psychologicals and different evaluations from the parents who oftentimes are in the foster care system themselves is that that's when they disclose that they were sexually assaulted. And so you see this cycle that continues to go on and, and you're not really addressing the issue that you were saying. So you brought up a great point. Thank you. Does anyone else have a question, comment? Okay, we'll start here. Yes. We'll work our way around. Now. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, my name is John, uh, and it was in regards to the uh, SGL men and women, I guess, well, uh, not being out. Or I do agree that uh, it helps society along for us to be visible. But I also respect people's right to. I, I was allowed to take my time to come out, and and it was my decision to come out. But I think everybody else should have that same privilege. And I have a dear, dear friend of mine some years ago who, who was struggling with his uh, sexuality and, and he likes transgender uh, people. And, uh, but he was really, he had a crisis, so we went and sat by a lake and we talked. And I said, it's, first of all, it's nobody's business and you don't have to tell anybody, you just have to be real with yourself yes. about what you feel. Just be honest with yourself. It's nobody else's business. You don't have to tell anybody if you choose not to. But I think I think that's a more important lesson that just you have to be secure with yourself in your own skin. And then if you choose to share that with other people, that you can. But I, uh, the other point is I think it's wonderful that we have such a diverse representation of, of gays now in film and television. And I think it's really film and television that has the power to, to change yes. public opinion on this. So I think this, there's no better time to be gay, I think, than, than now, where we have visual representation with shows like, well, let's say Empire, for instance, with Jesse Smollett. And then also with the movie uh, with, uh, Moonlight and, and Brokeback Mountain. Because for me, those movies weren't about, it wasn't about sex. It was, a, it was an intimate, it was about intimacy and love between two individuals. So. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, when you mentioned on Brokeback Mountain, I mean, I, when that movie came out, there were women, couples, husbands, and wives, they went to see it, and they were like, it's just a love story. That's all it was. It wasn't exactly. about two men. It was just, they looked at it as just a love story. And, um, okay, so three, I guess, comments um, sitting here listening from the beginning. One, this young lady should be in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have to say, I did cringe a little every time you mentioned the church. Um, only because, in my opinion, I believe that we've looked and we've used that as a scapegoat for so long. That we have to stop blaming the church. Those that are going, or those who choose to go to a church, and I should preface, I am a deacon. Um, that... We should really be selling that the church is there for a whole different purpose. You should not be talking about heterosexual sex in the church. You should not be talking about homosexual sex in the church. You should be talking about whatever your divinity is, bringing yourself to Jesus, understanding your Holy Spirit. So I feel like this whole church talk is kind of a scapegoat. I really think, and I really agree with the gentleman at the end, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot your name said, this goes back to the family. And the family is not just who's in your house. Uh, my brother Jason, who just walked in, he'll, he'll tell you, he'll snatch kids off the street and talk to them. The family is all of us. We need to talk, and we need to talk not just about HIV. We need to talk about health. We don't talk about health. We don't talk about diabetes. We don't talk about cancer. We don't talk about healthy diets. And HIV falls right in. We're scared to talk about it. So we have to start. We have to start developing this dialect that it's all right to talk about health. Let's talk about how to keep ourselves healthy sexually, how to keep ourselves healthy, you know, from our cholesterol, our our, our heart disease, the number one killer of women. 
how do you how do you not talk about that? And so we have to make sure that we start that ball rolling. Let's talk about health. And let's not wait on the church to do it. The fact that the church does it, wonderful. It don't, okay. Uh, what some of the things that you do in, in schools, wonderful. But that should start coming from the home, from the community. We gotta talk to everybody all the time. I Thank agree you. with you that, yes, it definitely should start in the home. But our families go to church. And our church is, Right, but we're talking about those. But the church is accountable. The church is the community. So the health, all of that should be discussed in the church. Not blaming the church, but definitely getting them involved so that they can be a part of the education of what's going on in their community. Yeah, that is true. And I think that, um, and I agree with what you're saying about the church, but the church also has a responsibility for taking care of the whole person. Not just their spirituality, but the entire person. Because if I'm not healthy, I can't come to church. But if I'm having all these other issues with my health issue, church is not, I'm not going to be able to get to church. So I think the church should be responsible for the total man. Not just on his spirituality, but everything else that's included with him. This is my opinion. I mean, I wanted to um Because I am someone who follows Christ. I almost said Christian, but I'm someone who follows Christ. And the and the greatest you know thing uh, that that Christ did to me was be relevant to his time. People you know people can you know whitewash Christ, but Christ was very much involved in the political atmosphere of his time. He said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God." But he talked, but, but but he told this um, counter people who was trying to make Christianity a dogmatic religion. So we have to um, use God or, or Jesus as an example. Jesus was very he, he was in his community. And so for, for me, if the church is not engaging with the community, they aren't doing God's work. They're not doing the work of Christ. So for, for me, this, what I'm doing right now, is the work of Christ. So I feel like we we have to be very clear on what Jesus stood for and what Jesus did. And Jesus was not a docile man. He was in the community and he was shaking things up. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sabrina James and I work with Brown County Public Schools. Um, the panel mentioned um, about sex ed in schools. Well, um, for us, Broward County, we passed a comprehensive policy for um, family life and human sexuality. Our uh, sex education is inclusive. But I know one of the panelists mentioned about the fact that we need to do more in schools. But this is where you all can come in because we are held to Florida State statutes. So Florida State Statute 1003.46 even still has language where it talks about school systems can teach about HIV and AIDS, and if they do talk about anything as it relates to family life and human sexuality, that they can also mention about abstinence and um, people being married before they have sex. All that's a part of the state statutes. So if we want things to change where the school system doesn't have to, you know, the statute also talks about parents having the right to opt their children out of family life and human sexuality. There are certain things that we try to push for, but we can't do anything because of the state statute. The state statute also talks about um, us being able to refer students to uh, um, uh, contraceptive services and, you know, condoms when you really look it up in Wikipedia or the dictionary, a condom can be considered a, a contraceptive device. So therefore, once again, we are held to those same standards. So if we want to change some of these um, things that are happening in 
our school system, then one of my suggestions is that we go to our legislators and our elected officials and let them know about the importance of what is needed for our young people and how, and, and by doing those things, we'll be able to reduce some of the rates of HIV and AIDS in, in uh, Broward County. We'll also be able to help with the STD rates. Um, I do know that in 2006, they did try to um, mandate schools to be able to teach uh, comprehensive sex ed in the state of Florida, but that did not pass. So if we want these things to happen, we have to get up there and we have to make those changes. We are trying to do our part in Broward County Public Schools, and I do, I must say that I do think that we're doing a great job. We have an LGBT coordinator, we've received a CDC grant, and we have someone who works for um, uh, targeting our young black and Latino um, young men who have sex with men. You know, we have a team that works with uh, family life and human sexuality in all of our schools with a specific uh, uh, targeted schools. So we're trying to do certain things, but we need you all behind us to help move things forward. Thank you, Sabrina. So yeah, I heard that contact your legislators, contact your officials, and talk to them and tell them what you think is needed. Because you can't, they can't, they're not going to make those changes unless we, the people, say that we need to go and we want those changes. So you might, Good evening, everyone. I'm Pastor Tori of New Horizon International Sanctuary. Um, let me first off by to start off by saying that um, what's happening in the community has quite a lot to do with the church. I know it for a fact. As the statement was said, you're going to hell because of this or because of that or you know whatever it is, and it was drilled. And at the end of the day, like he said, only God makes that final uh, judgment. And so now we're living in uh, a world even now from, from then, even up until now, that the black church mold the black community. Yes. And what they said, it doesn't matter what the law said, what they said or what the pastor said or whatever he preached, that was law mm -hmm. to the black community. And so if it was taught, you know, there... Um, you got to understand that there were there. There's all black folk always taught two things. You have two homes: your home church and your home that you live in. And the Bible say home training home uh, training starts at home. So whatever you're trained at home, that's what you spread abroad. And of course, if you're going to be secretive about anything and you're going to hide it, you don't want anybody else to know, not even the church folks or anything else. So of course, they're they're. You know, we're taught a certain mentality to hide this stuff. And it does have to stop. And I realized that it had to stop. I had a conversation with my six-year-old daughter last night who said to me, um, uh, my friend told me that uh, her grandmother and grandfather split up and now the grandma have a girlfriend. So, of course, that was something up. It's like, you know, you're a pastor, so what did you tell your children? <clears throat> it starts at home. So, and you probably wonder what I told her, of course. <laughs> and, and what I did tell her, you know, I, you know, first of all, let me start off. I had to learn something totally different. I grew up Baptist, Baptist minister, ordained as a Baptist minister, yeah. and now I'm a non-denominational ministry. And um, what I had to understand is that uh, when I looked at the gay community, number one, my cousin, who's gay, I love him. And I, I looked at my brother, and I had to make a decision. 
that this is not something uh, uh, that was neither forced upon them or by choice. It's just who they are. It's who they are. So what do I do as a Christian? What do I do as a pastor? What do I do as a family member? Do I push them away or do I love them? Do I stand in the pulpit and teach sex? Yeah, I absolutely do. I teach sex. I teach uh, uh, about gender. You know, so what I said to her, I said, listen, baby, you know, everyone has a choice. And I told her what the Bible said. And I told her whatever her choice is in life, she wanted to know. Her thing was, her friend said that everybody, the male and female, we all had feelings. That's what the kids was telling the other kids at the school. So it starts at home. It's what you teach at home, at church, in, in your home. So I had to tell her, listen, you, you choose whatever you want. You're still going to be loved. And that's what's not taught, love. Jesus Christ came to show love. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. It don't matter what kind of sin it is. It don't matter whether you agree with it or not. It's the foundation of love that is missing Love of, of, of just showing one another you care for one another, and and be honest with you. While I'm here, I, I do want I want to bridge this this gap. I want to see what do it take to break this stigma in the black community. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Something that you said, the questions for everyone, you said that um, when you were talking about the um, homosexual, um, the homophobia yeah. in the black community, yeah. and you said we need to hold the black community accountable for that. Yeah. How do we do that? How do we hold the black community accountable for the homos for the homophobia that's so large in that community? Mm. That's a good question. Well, oh, I turned the mic off. Okay. Well, first, every problem with this is kind of radical. But every problem that we have in the black community, I will always say stem from our supremacy. Black men have inherited our masculinity from white supremacy. So I wanted the, the, the conversation to be about the fact that we that we were brought up in a white supremacist country, in a um, in a patriarchal country, and in a cis normative country. People don't even understand gender still to this day and there's so many resources. So once we once we talk about um, um, what white supremacy and its um, subsidiaries we can talk, we can say openly this is wrong. Uh, I think a lot of times um, uh, among you know white people who, who don't uh, feel comfortable with racism, oftentimes they won't call out their white friend on the racism. And so when you see straight people who aren't okay with homophobia, they also won't call out on the homophobia when they see it. So it, I think on the micro level, we um, we have to start holding our black friends or or the black community accountable at home or 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 in the club or at school or whatever, because that, that's where it starts. It starts within these micro home groups. Straight people are going to have to start saying, yo, that, that homophobia stuff, that's not cool. Hyper masculinity is not cool. It's not cool to not be able to, you know, feel free to, to show emotion. I, I mean, what what kind of world would it be? Uh, how much more developed would we be as a world if men were just allowed to cry and to express themselves? That type of emotional intelligence will prompt, will, um, prompt empathy. The reason why, and I know this is on Facebook, but the reason why America has no problem blowing up um, other countries is because it's not American soil. 
we have to start seeing seeing people as people in, in a shared community. If there's no empathy, if we don't see each other as um, as ourselves, then there won't be any um, um, progress. Um, particularly with with the black community, um, I'm a huge rap fan, huge huge Kendrick fan, Young Thug, all of that stuff. I have yet to see the black community be as as welcoming to Young Thug and, and his gender representation as they are to Young and A and her gender representation. So we have to stop the um the um the um, double standard. If a man wants to present his his gender the way Prince did, he should be free to do that, and and he deserves validation within his, his own community. We have to start. I don't want to say forcing black folks to to like grow up, but in a sense you have to. There there shouldn't be um you know two or three princes um for a lifetime. There are a lot of men um who don't want like me. I love wearing crop tops, like um like and I like wearing you know shorts even though I have like really skinny legs. So <laughs> depending on the day, my gender presentation can be very um, fluid. Like I just it's hot. I ain't finna wear no jersey, but no no big shirt. I just wear crop tops when he's out. I I I I can do that. But I get a lot of stigma from that within my community. So I think it's about forcing your, not forcing your community to accept you, but holding them accountable when they don't accept you. Like, um, one time I painted my nails black, and my friend was like, well, why did you paint your nails black? And I was like, why wouldn't I? He said, and he was like, oh, that's feminine. Who determines what's feminine? We have to think about where do these types of gender roles and these um, um, sexual roles come from? They come from a, a patriarchal system that is, is built on power structures. So if men are supposed to be in power, and this is where you're supposed to be a man, anything that, that deviates from that is supposed to be demonized. And we have to hold black people accountable for thinking in that way. If we want racial progress, that also includes misogyny um, being going away. Trans, um, transphobia has to go away. Um, um, homophobia has to go away. Sexual violence has to go away. You cannot lobby against white supremacy, but be silent when it comes to homophobia or transphobia. We need intersectional feminism. Like, like I have um, friends who won't go to church if the pastor's are home, it's a woman. That makes no, I, I don't know, she saw the gave the spirit to, to us, so I want gender. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. We we have to start holding each, each other accountable for, like, if someone were to say this, oh, would be homophobic to me, I would say, how would you feel if a white person didn't let you win because you're black? That's the, I don't like comparing struggles, but I like comparing empathetic notions. How can you say that you want this progress, but you're denying progress to someone else? The black community has to stop rallying against white supremacy, but being silenced on transphobia. Many of the transphobic archaeologists are also black. Trans, you know, um, trans, um, violence against transphobia happened um, predominantly in the black community. So we have to start seeing it as um, as a universal problem, if not as a particular problem. And that starts out with calling out in my, um, at the micro level, but then lobbying at the state level, which is what they organically said, which is what I do. Thank you so much. Anyone else on the panel want to chime in? And I have Cassandra. And this may be nearing the end of our community conversation. Hold on. Okay, mine is, I was trying to come up with a question. Well, um, mine is possible. I know that um, stigma is obviously a big barrier within our community. And one of the parts of stigma that kind of keeps it in place, it being a barrier, is language. And I know um, specifically, um, I'm a MAC coordinator out of St. Louis County, so that's where I came from tonight. And one of my biggest hurdles is getting into the LGBTQ community because I identify myself as an ally. But even you know, using the health department behind my name, people will like, close the phone on my face, which I totally understand the things that happen. But when we're talking about language, specifically here, I noted that you um, deliberately used the language same gender loving men. Um, um, so, 
what is kind of like the juxtaposition or the purposeful exclusion of using like um, MSM? Right, that's to, I don't know people know me. I'll chime in first um, because I use it. Um, <laughs> um, second gender learning then was primarily a term that was, well, let me go to MSM first. MSM was used because when CDC was sending, putting in money into right. That's, it came from black men are the ones who say we wanted MSM. It was not CDC. Black men are the ones from um, from San Francisco, Chicago, New York. Those were the men who said we don't we're not gay. A lot of us don't identify with the word the term gay. So therefore, yeah. they had to come up with something different. That's why MSM was created and coined by black gay men. That's why that that's why that term was used. Same gender loving men. Same thing is used because. Again, they don't necessarily, we don't necessarily sometimes identify with the gay terminology because when we, most people think about gay, when I think about gay sometimes, I think about a white person. I don't think about me as a black man because that's not who I am. I'm more of a same gender loving man. I love the gender of this other person. And it could be the same gender loving women. It could be same, so it's not about necessarily only saying it's about you know, men, it could be women as well. But those two terms are based on not identifying with the um, Eurocentric view of gay. That's why those two terms are used. The other day, I um um because I also I, I I love language. I think language can be used politically, but also essentially and uh, individually. Um, I like um the latter term, same gender loving men, because a lot of people um, in in relation to um, MSM, because people still think that to be queer is merely a sexual phenomenon. It's not a sexual like it's not it's not easily reducible to like um um you know um sex like I like but people are asking me so what does it feel like to to kiss a girl and okay, to kiss a, girl, a dude. It's the same thing. Um, the emotion is the same. So I think when 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 people say, well, for me, for me, it is. And so when when people use same gender loving men, that means that what we what what we're folks. I don't even like. I don't like identifying as anything. I'd rather just say I just kiss somebody that's you know pretty. Um, when when we use that word, it means that we don't want to be reduced to our genitalia and say that we only do this because we want to get off. You know, so I think the, uh, the reason why people have a problem with MSN is because there's such a hypersexual um, lens on the queer community that people just think it's just a bunch of like um, um, hedonistic folks who just still have sex, 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 sex. But, you know, um, gay relationships tend to last longer and be more healthier than um, than a straight counterpart. So that means that there has to be some kind of fundamental love on um, 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 different. So I think that's why people prefer to use all the terms same thing with other This is gonna be our last question for tonight, and I do want to thank people for coming. Good afternoon, my name is Keisha. So I just have an announcement, it's not a question or a comment. Um, on May 11th at Dillard High School, starting at 6.30 p.m., we're having our Hear Our Voices, which is on homophobia and transphobia in the black communities that specifically affects children. Um, so I definitely invite all of you to come out. Um, I am organizing it with a few other people. Um, so if you want details about that, you can definitely see me afterward. Thank you so much. Stay black and prosperous. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Um, my name is Carlos. I just have a question. Um, I want to know how we are effectively communicating in targeting the black community on HIV and AIDS because the number, the rates are really skyrocketing. And it's still, you know, it's 
numbers are high every day. So I wanted to know how we, how are we effectively communicating in those um, in those particular areas? What are we doing? Um, what is to come? Um, you know, what can we do? Um, because we we do this brother speak thing, and we you know we had this conversation a, a few times, and it come up, and you know all of us say what we want to do, but it's so hard to get out there into these different communities without having that information. There's so much pamphlets out there that don't, they don't have those spaces. They are not identifying with other, you know, uh, races in, in, in their faces on these particular pamphlets. Do we need to change the faces to say, hey, this is what they look like? Um, I don't know how you effectively communicate, you know, to this particular um, community because the rates are really high. I mean, so something is not connected. So how do we connect? That, you know, that's what I'm going to As she mentioned, we are in the schools. We're in the community. We have mobile, there are mobile vans that are in the community all over at all times. Um, there are different events that go on in the community all the time that um, whether they're testing or we're doing ed education, um, handing out condoms and educating, we're out there. We're out there. Um, we are always thinking of new ways and new new avenues of going places that we haven't gone. Um, so we're out there. And the pamphlets, they look like us. They do. Well, for me, I think a part of it is really that we, as a people, need to stop lying and just start being honest about HIV, start being honest about what we do and what we don't do. And we have to start to be honest about our sexuality and the things that we do. Because every, you know, you talk to a group of people, you say, well, these, oh, I use condoms consistently and correctly every time I have sex. Yeah. If that's the case, then why in the world are all of our rates of HIV going up among our people? Somebody's not, somebody's not being honest because if we are doing that consistently and using condoms correctly, then the rates should be decreasing. But they are, that's they are. the thing. Last year, um, the, uh, uh, on the rates among black women, Plateau, so it's not like they're rising anymore. They are starting to plateau. Also, um, I'm a grassroots, I'm a grassroots mobilizer. It's my job to um, get folks out in the community and come together. I like to work with you. I like to work with you, and I like to work with the um, the pastor. So anybody that um, you know wants to get out with me and like you know push sexual health and care, I'm here after. I have a business card, and you can contact me. I'm always willing to work with people and to collaborate with the community. That's what I'm here for. So I'll speak with you and anyone else that wants to work, um, work with me. I want to thank you all for coming out this evening. I'm going to give each person on the panel an opportunity to get their last thoughts, and then we'll call it. Maybe we'll start with Melvin and work our way over to Jonathan. Uh, just a brief thank you for coming out and taking on this conversation, and I hope that the end goal is for us to develop some kind of action plan to address some of the issues that were brought forth. I also want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. Um, also just maybe a takeaway, because um, I know we talked about it starts in the home. Just remember our children who don't have those, the home, to be honest. Let's, let us make sure that we do our part as a community, being those mentors, joining organizations and community events where they can see that, where they can see positive, you know, not the craziness that they see at home. So, so they can actually, the church, as we mentioned, and having these real conversations um, and being honest with where we are as a community, so we can so we can continue to tell as our as people. Okay. I do want to add to 
what you're saying about having real conversations. If you really do, you have to have those real conversations at home with as young as six years old. If they're asking the questions, you have to be able to answer them. Um, and we're out there. I'm sorry. Um, okay. Um, my last thought will be just like action. A lot of theory and like um, things, we, we can always have these dialogues with the point is um, action. Um, I'm open to speak with anybody afterwards on what we can do. I love, I'm lying, I don't love the church, but I would definitely, <laughs> I would love to work with the church and the people of God if, if we are living mobilizing in our community and doing real Christ work. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. And uh, anybody that just like wants to work uh, with me, I, I don't, this is cool. But I don't want to be some kind of like educated black man who isn't in the community. I really want to um, um, change the scope of sexual health and um, inclusion and intersection of um, uh, feminism in this community because that's what this country needs. So a takeaway from this would be if you really want to like work and you really want to be in the community, I'm always here. I need my card. I have information. And um, thank you for offering coming. All right. One of the things I want to do is also, um, in, a, in addition to what Jonathan's saying and everything else, we um, also here at the Pride Center, especially our Kiki Project, we're always open to doing this type of work, but we also want to do outreach and that type of stuff. So if this is the type of stuff you want to do, everyone says they want to do different things, please contact myself or Jakari, um, put it on the sign-in sheet. We had down there whether or not you wanted to volunteer because a part of the volunteering could be working with Jonathan, going and doing some of that grassroots, door-to-door -door stuff out in the community, talking to the community about HIV, talking about AIDS, talking about the things that are important that are happening in our community. So if you're interested in actually doing some of the work, because like you were saying, a lot of people that come to these types of meetings and at this meeting, oh my God, the passion is so high. It's so high, you can cut it with a knife. But tomorrow, if I call you and say, hey, Jonathan, Sam, Bob, can you do, oh, child, I'm tired. <laughs> so if you're really interested in doing some work, you know, please, if you're really interested in actually doing it, not just talking about it, but actually hitting the streets and you know, pounding the pavement, please contact us because we can, we can use your, you can use you. We can have you up as a part of what we're trying to do in our community, in our community, to talk to our people. So if you're really serious about that, please contact myself or Jonathan, and we can get you out there doing some of this type of work if this is what you really want to do. And if it's not, that's fine too, because the work is still going to get done. So, but again, I want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. Hope you got some valuable information. I hope you get an opportunity to share some of the things that you want that were, that were you know, pressing on your heart, mind, and spirit. I just want to thank you. you have a comment, sir? I'd like to say, oh, okay. I want you to, as a white person, I want you to know we have the same problem. I don't believe it's just because you're black skin. You're, your culture puts you as the gay person, oh, you're going to hell, you're going to this and all that. This man's a spiritual man. The other one's religion. And there's a big difference. Teach the difference between the difference between facts and opinions. Especially now. And speak of the spiritual choices. And you will have a happier person. Don't worry about it. You're not unique. You're not unique. Culture has that part. The function of religion is to control the rate of change. Come on. Wow. I'm a no matter what your color is, I have the same simple truth. I can feel that you feel it. I know what you went through. Oh, you gay, you sissy. All that whole thing. Oh, you're not a man. You're not a boy. I got grandchildren. 
they have a wonderful time. <laughs> Be happy. And keep loving everybody. That's all. I just want you to know. Thank you. And thank you all for coming out. I appreciate it.